The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Business of Blueberries. I'm back again with my regular co-host and committee chair of our Tech and Innovation Committee, Rod Cook. Rod, I know you have worked hard on this technology survey, and I'm excited to talk through some of its findings today. To provide a little context here, could you just tell everyone why the committee wanted to pursue this research and this study? So the areas that you can talk about technology are so diverse. I mean, are we talking software to make my payroll go better? Are we talking about building a new harvesting machine? How do I prune my, you know, just all kinds of things, Casey. We actually put together as a committee a page and a half of known areas where there's technology out there if not in the blueberry industry, in some nearly related industry like grapes or whatever. And we went, okay, well, here's here's all these areas. Which one should we pursue? And everybody kind of looked around and went, uh, I don't know, which would be most important for our growers. And so it became really obvious at that point that we really needed to do a survey. There were a, a number of areas that we decided that, hey, you know, hiring some professionals to go out and really help us define technology as a sector and how it applied to the blueberry industry was important. Just having had this conversation about the need for innovation in our industry this spring during our strategic refresh, the last time we were able to meet as an industry, just talking about innovation. And we got this huge pile of blueberries that continues to grow. The need to not only drive demand as part of our promotion effort, but also to do what we do more efficiently in order to return those grower profits and the health of the industry overall be more successful. I find this this part of what USHBC both has done and then what this study helps to arm us to go do next. So in your mind as chair of the committee, what, what have we done already in this area that's been inspiring? And then we can talk a little bit about where we're going to go. Well, I think the way it started off was the funding of some research, kind of the typical program, gosh, let's let's find some good research folks at a university and do some things that will help us figure out how to use our equipment better. Where are the big flaws? Because when we talk about specifically mechanical harvesting or handling of blueberries, the big problem is shelf life. And what hurts shelf life? It's bruising. So where's the bruising really occurring? How severe is it? Is it totally a variety deal, totally an environmental, or do we just have the wrong kind of equipment? And so they developed at the University of Georgia with a big team, a multi-university team, frankly. They developed a device called the BIRD, a Blueberry Impact Resistance Detector. And that was done with research dollars from U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The result of that was a number of these little balls about blueberry size that uh, you could drop in a packing line or you could actually drop through a harvester. And in real time, it would record impact. It would record how hard those impacts were. And then later they could go to a laboratory and they could actually evaluate it in comparison with certain varieties and therefore be able to determine how bad fruit was getting damaged at each and every little strike through the handling and harvesting system. 
So that was our first first deal. Uh, really cool. Lots of excitement about it. A lot of people, especially the Chileans, got very excited about it because they were just getting into some of the packing lines, having come from packing directly into clamshells historically. That was the good news. The bad news was uh, the University of Georgia has a patent on it. That was part of the contractual relationship with any university, as usually the university holds on to the patent rights. And we have so far been unable to get that little device commercialized, which has been a, a big disappointment. Uh, partly, you've got to have a big enough market. And I think to some degree, nobody that is interested in commercializing it has felt that there's a big enough commercial market for the device to, to really spend the time and money dialing it up to a commercial scale. Interesting. Well, and you know, to that end, I think about, you know, what companies might be fascinated by the research you've got here, right? So if we take and package this up and start pointing out to those companies that this survey seems to apply to, it, it would be, you know, what's your thought on who would want to know the stuff we've learned from this survey and, and, and how we would we then package this up to go attract that kind of tech company to our industry? Yeah. What the survey did not do, and maybe that is a, a point we need to be very clear about. What the survey did not do was it did not go down this list of a page and a half of technologies and say, which one should we invest in or which one should we focus on? We didn't really do that. We looked at this more as a general areas because technology, many kinds of technology uh, apply to many areas. So for example, labor came up across many different ways the questions were asked as being important, but not just labor, but the efficiency of labor. So it's not a question of just eliminating a labor or laborers by finding a better machine. It's how to improve the current machinery we have. So what's the next level? Well, the next level also involves labor. If I can improve my field ban work, for example, you know, currently, how is a field scouted? Well, it's usually foots in the field. It's you, you're hanging insect traps or you're doing inspection of plants and those kind of things. You're paying a lot of money for people to do that. If we can supplant some of that with drone technology or with so-called smart traps where you actually get a photo identification of the insect as it flies into a trap and you know the trap counts, can you now begin to be more efficient with your sprayers by spot spraying applications within a large field as opposed to simply spraying the entire field? If you see that migration pattern across these traps and know it in real time, can you be more effective? And obviously that means less chemical, less times through the field, less fruit knocked off, less damage on the bush because of equipment, those kind of things. So those are the areas where I think we can have a big impact, a bigger impact as we take the results of this and, and begin to move forward. Well, look, those are great points. And for those of you listening, uh, there's little doubt that technology is going to have a huge impact on the future of our industry. I hope as you listen today, you will consider how we can all be as prepared as possible for where technology might be headed. But before we dive deeper in today's episode, it's time for the crop report. There's a lot to report at this time of year as harvest continues to make its way north. And this segment has been a highlight of the podcast to keep growers and everyone in the industry informed. So here it is, your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets around North America. Today, you'll hear from Neil Moore in North Carolina, followed by Denny Doyle in New Jersey, 
Todd Sanders in California, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Mark Hurst in Oregon. This report was recorded on July 15, 2020. Here's Neil Moore in North Carolina. We're just still packing some fresh fruit just for our local markets here and processing our late rabbit eye varieties. It will continue and probably finish in about a week or so. It's been a very challenging season this year for us here in North Carolina, and it's all due to weather conditions. As you know, we had a lot of rain during harvest that really steered a lot of our fruit towards the processing market, and it took its toll on the fruit with the, you know, not being able to harvest and some fruit eggs actually hit the ground where people couldn't get in because of wet conditions with machinery and things. Also in the early spring, we had a warmer than normal February, which caused some of our early southern highbush to bloom and some of the real early varieties were devastated by some severe freezes in late February. And that all contributed to a significantly smaller crop here in North Carolina this year. And we're probably going to finish next week, and that will conclude our 2020 season. Hi, this is Danny Doyle from New Jersey. We are in our mid-season crop right now. Our season has been going quite well at this point in time. We did have the tropical storm Floyd that hit us Friday, which affected some growers, some large growers, as a matter of fact, because it was the, the heavy rains were so regionalized. I'm more in the northern section of the blueberry grower area and my rain total was an inch, inch and a half, but upwards of four to five inches, you know, in some other areas was affected. But the good news on that is that the weather following, unlike North Carolina, kind of cleared up and it gave us ability to start drying the fields out and doing those kind of things. What happened to Neil down in North Carolina, it just kept circling around and around. In the blueberry world, you really, really don't want that. So um, we're moving forward. Our market at this point in time is is good. It's still strong. So we'll be getting into our late season varieties starting this weekend. And that's kind of the report out of New Jersey. Todd Sanders, I'm with the California Blueberry Commission representing the California blueberry industry here. Our season is finalized. We are just now kind of getting to the tail end of everything. Everything's just basically finished for us. Overall, we were expecting a record crop of over 77 million pounds due to COVID and weather-related issues and stuff like that. I don't think we're going to come nearly in at that high, but we're going to come in pretty close. I think it'll be probably around 65 to 68 million pounds will be our final number. That's fresh and processed. But this season was difficult. Our season was right in the middle of the pandemic as we're still kind of going through it as we speak, but we were right in the middle of the lockdown. It was trouble moving fruit, especially when it comes to exports. That's 20% of our product gets exported and it was difficult to export anything. So it was a difficult season, but the growers, I think did pretty well, but we'll have to see when the final numbers come back. Uh, This is Brian Sakuma from Washington. We're picking our first pick Dukes right now, but we're one of the lower, I mean, cooler areas. We're right there on the water, Puget Sound. And so our harvest season is usually the last one to get going on the west side of the mountains, which tends to be a little bit later than in eastern Washington, where they're already finishing up the second pick Dukes and into their drapers. But It's still been cool on our side, which has kind of caused the Duke variety in particular to 
ripen unevenly. And so it's been fairly difficult for a lot of growers to determine when they need to get in. And especially if they're trying to do some fresh market. Uh, the crop in Western Washington is split. And it's, I, I would say it's primarily processed versus in Eastern Washington where it's not only primarily fresh, but primarily uh, organics. Mark Hurst from Oregon. So we've had some really cool weather this year, which is kind of unusual for this state, which has kind of slowed down the ripening of the fruit. But we're just about finished with Duke here in Oregon. We've got about maybe the rest of this week and we'll be pretty much finished up. So now the growers are going into Draper and other varieties, maybe even thinking about picking some legacy. The market has on the fresh side has been very good. The demand's been very good. I'm, I'm hearing a little complaining from the process people that they're not getting much fruit, which actually should help our uh, situation in helping the frozen market out a little bit by maybe not going so much towards the frozen. And that's what's going on in Oregon. Well, as always, I so appreciate the extra time and effort our growers around North America provide us this window of insight into what's happening in real time around the industry's blueberry growing regions. We record these crop reports the day we release the podcast episode. So we want to make sure you are a subscriber to this podcast to get the information as soon as it's recorded. Okay, Rod, I'll let you have the floor to introduce our featured guest for today's conversation. Great. Thanks, Casey. Really excited today to kind of kick off sort of the uh, committee's work on the, the technology area. And to do that, I'd like to introduce our guest. It's Robert Perlstein. Robert's a senior international business development executive uh, with 20 years of record building and executing successful go-to-market strategies for startups and emerging technology companies. Prior to starting Canopy, his consultancy that he's in charge of, he was vice president of global business development for the Stanford Research Institute, a very highly respected organization. Robert was instrumental in guiding our survey and assisting our committee with outreach to the technology industry. So Robert, thanks for being here. Rod, it's wonderful to be here and uh, thank you so much for having me. I know you were introduced to me by one of our, our committee members, Andres Armstrong from Chile, who had heard you talk at an ag tech symposium down in Santiago. So why don't you give us a little bit more how you, how you got engaged in the ag sector and just sort of a, an overview of what you're really doing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story, but as you had mentioned, I used to run a global business development over at SRI, the Stanford Research Institute here in Northern California. I did that role for about 10 years. And that had given me a, a lot of visibility into a number of different sectors in the space sector, you know, working in the satellite area, working in areas in construction and finance. And, you know, due to that opportunity too, I, I would typically present at a number of events all around the world and uh, on, different, on different areas, different topics of innovation. It could be artificial intelligence or advanced robotics. I had worked for a number of years with the Chilean government, the Ministry of Economy, and then through that, I eventually uh, was connected with Hortifruit out of Chile. Hortifruit was then sponsoring an event in Chile where they requested me to present as the keynote speaker on technology and how it is impacting the agricultural market and likewise the world in general. And that was a few years ago, and then that developed into a whole relationship with them, and, and that's really how I got into specifically into the blueberry area. 
Oh, fantastic. As many of our uh, listeners know, um, hortifruit's a, a real integral part of both North America and South American blueberry production. So it's it's cool. And I and I think that's the, the point we our committee's really uh, committed to is making sure that as we move forward, we we make sure that these technologies are practical for our growers. I mean, it's it's great to talk about, you know, some of these things and, you know, we have just enough information to be dangerous, but we've really got to focus in on technologies that meet existing needs. It's great to look at things that'll help us in the future, but we also have a lot of problems right now we have to overcome. So, I mean, are, are, there, are there ways that you can help guide us using the outcome from the survey to look at some of those technologies? Oh, oh most definitely, Rod. I mean, the, the first thing that we need to look at is on the macro level, what's happening? You know, the demand for blueberries is growing globally. But I think in parallel, what's happening, though, is that there are certain challenges that the industry is facing with regards to increases in costs, particularly around lack of labor in certain areas. And that really, again, ties into, you know, what types of technologies that the industry really should be looking at going forward. And, you know, it's a lot of the things that we're, you know, kind of aware of. But I think that the key areas that, that seem to always bubble to the top were, you know, how can uh, the equipment being used become more intelligent, you know, leveraging new technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning? How can the industry take ideas around what's happening in other industries and in, in particularly in areas like robotics? So those were some of the key takeaways that I saw from working on this project together. I've got a sort of a from left field here. U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council helped do some research a few years ago with a device that was called the BIRD, uh, Blueberry Impact Resistance Detector. And the problem we had was finding anybody interested enough to pursue commercial development of that thing. Are, are, you know, is that a common problem, number one? And, and number two, are those areas that there's help out there to encourage industry, the technology industry to engage in, in like the blueberry industry to, to see these things through, make sure that it's not uh, something that just sits on a shelf somewhere? Oh, yeah. Well, first to say, Rod, it, I think it's very common in many, many industries. You know, it's, you know, oftentimes the market might not be big enough initially for a large company, say, to invest in building out a, this new type of technology. And then likewise, how then do you identify the right type of startups that might be doing it? There's a, a lot of money now that's obviously being invested into ag. You know, the interesting part, though, is that I, I believe that we as the, as the blueberry industry need to really get more visible so that the technology world kind of understand the challenges better that are being faced by the blueberry market. I think that other industries like construction, as an example, over the last number of years have have really, now you've got tons of startups right now that are focusing on different aspects of construction. Uh, and again, I wanna be very clear, you do have a lot of companies that are focused on ag, but I think that we need to get more visibility around, around the specific area of ours, which is blueberries. Yeah, and I think the other part of drilling into what we saw for blueberries was just about some of the big ideas that came out of the survey. Looking at, at just kind of some of those results, it looks like robotics and drones are things that would be of interest. I mean, how would you characterize the response we got in, you know, those future big ideas that aren't just dealing in how to enhance existing solutions? 
I think the underlying thing is that people in the industry are looking at how they could increase productivity based upon the challenges that are happening. And then that really does tie into things around software, uh, things around robotics. Absolutely. Some of the things that, you know, really tied into, again, how can we go about, you know, areas of insect trapping? How do we go around areas of, you know, smart irrigation, you know, improvements in terms of harvesting uh, when labor isn't there? Those are some of the things that definitely were focused on and, and then were kind of reconfirmed as part of the survey. Well, and I think along those lines, you, you, you have this, this expectation as one of the objectives to establish those priorities across, you know, multiple time horizons. And, and you know, that implies a short-term, long-term strategy. So what was your sense of those short-term opportunities versus those long-term opportunities? I, I really think that one of the underlying issues is around labor. You know, it, and now there's a number of things, you know, we could talk about the supply chain, there's lots of different things, but I think it's that in many ways, this area of labor and the uh, short supply of that is the near term thing, right? How can we improve certain aspects of productivity, leveraging technology and leveraging in innovation in order to augment that area? And again, this is not even to say that it's to replace workers, it's more, you know, how could technology be used to augment workers and make, make things more productive? I think that th those would be some of the short-term things that I, I think would make a lot of sense. And I think one of the tells from the survey as well looked at how the growers rated the efficiency of the current technology as well. And in several of those areas, while they felt there was a good amount of technology being spent, for example, in packing lines, in optical sorting, and yet when asked how efficient they thought it was, it wasn't really seen to be as efficient as they would like it or that it, it should be or could be. So I think when we look at technology, it does categorize two things. Oftentimes we think about those, the big idea sort of thing, the new harvester or whatever. But one of the ways to improve labor is not finding more labor, or it can be finding more labor, but it's making our current labor much more efficient by giving them tools to operate with that Im improve quality or improve throughput and those kind of things. So that, that's another area that kind of popped out to me from the survey. Rod, you're so spot on. I mean, you know, I could give like an example of another technology company. They're called Seismic Robotics. And what they've done is they've created a, um, think of it like clothing in some ways. It's like a, a powered suit, right? Where it's not like uh, your Iron Man type suit, but it was more of a, of a soft robotic suit. But what it does is it enables workers to do certain tasks with, you know, preventing injury, allowing more productivity. Now, now imagine these guys, though, they've focused on the construction area and on the manufacturing area. Not in ag, not in blueberries, but again, if we were able to identify an organization like that, then that's how you might be able to pivot and then bring new technologies like that into the blueberry market. So anyway, but Rod, you're, you're so spot on with, with your statement. Just kind of moving into the industry challenges or the v industry's view of itself, you know, where, they, where there's this sense of that innovation curve that we talked about back at our March meetings, but I found this particular response to the survey interesting that the majority, the 53% of those that responded find that they tend to be evolutionary and only 22% found the industry to be revolutionary. 
And I guess, Rod, that'd be to your experience with the industry so far. It, is this the case that, you know, it's kind of an incremental effort? I think the key, the key takeaway for, for this slide for me, Casey, was that, yeah, okay, the majority, 53% says this is just an evolution. We just make these incremental changes. That's all we do, as opposed to that 22% that said, man, things are just changing rapidly. I don't know what's happening next. But when you look at this, it comes down to how much experience in the industry. The people who have been in the industry the longest are the ones that are being besieged by change. They've gone from the pulp cup to the plastic clamshell. They've gone from hand pickers with catcher frames to machines and all kinds of things. That's really revolutionary stuff. But if you've only been in the industry 10 years, I mean, hey, we're packing in clamshells. We've been packing in clamshells for 10 years. I mean, no big deal. What's what's that all about? Gosh, you know, I wish I could find ways to be a little more efficient here, a little more efficient there. So I think a lot of it comes down to that a reflection of how long people have been around the industry. And maybe, maybe it's just an aging thing. You know, to me, that was a lot of the takeaway from this slide was that the few years you've been in the industry, it just seems like nothing really has changed a lot. Uh, we're getting a little better at a few things, but we're not seeing those major things that we need to see changed. The accompanying to this, though, is the fact that the majority, the vast majority of the industry sees itself as very quick to adapt new technologies and new ideas. And I know that was a thing that uh, Matt at Loyalty Research found quite fascinating. Usually there's this you know, nice curve that, uh, you know, you've got the early adapters, you've got the next group and so on and so forth. And it's kind of a bell-shaped deal. The blueberry industry wasn't shaped that way at all, according to their statistics. It Most everybody says, hey, I'm not only am I ready for change, but when it comes, I'm ready to take it on immediately, which was quite intriguing. Our industry has been very, very innovative, but the innovation for the most part up to this point has all been driven literally at the farm level. I'm not talking about people doing something for a farmer. It's been a farmer with a torch and what they used to call the bone pile is, is metal fabrication pieces out behind the barn. If they needed a distemmer, for example, I mean, I, I know the Perdick brothers or knew the Perdick brothers in Indiana. They developed what is called the, the Perdick's blueberry distemmer, standard in the industry now, but man, a revolutionary change in a way to get stems off from blueberries. Same with the first harvesting. It's all come from the farm. Oftentimes a, a manufacturer would then come along later and say, hey, I can improve that, I can standardize it, I can make it prettier, et cetera, et cetera, if you'll let me build you one, if I can have the rights to this machine. And that's how many of the over-the-road machines really got their start. So we've done a lot of those kind of things, the blowers, all of the stuff, uh, often, if you look at the foundation, it was in the blueberry fields at the blueberry farms, and now it's small manufacturing companies sitting not, not far off the farm. Even with the optical sorter, uh, BBC a company founded by Greg Furness, blueberry grower from uh, New Zealand, and he developed the optical sorter, and... Uh, we've never looked back. There have been many other companies to join the fray and improve it and things like that. So very innovative group. From an organizational standpoint, Rod, and maybe this question actually is to you, Robert, just about what does it take 
for an organization like the USHBC to be culture-driven in its innovation? What could we be doing as USHBC to create and establish that culture of tech and innovation? Right, right. Yeah. In order to um, build a, a culture of innovation, to me, it's initially around how do you create kind of a common language and a framework around innovation? Um, and, and again, in that, and that framework as well always starts, number one is understanding the need, understanding what are the, mar- what are the needs that you have within the industry. From a tactical level, a good possible next step would be you know, to do maybe some type of an ideation uh, discovery workshop where you can maybe bring in some of the different growers. We could do it on Zoom where you do it in a structured program to say, okay, digging out, fleshing out a bit more about what those needs are, but then also sharing in those workshops, okay, this is the type of technology that's out there that could be applied. And then that, that way people start thinking, right? They start really thinking about different ideas and how things can improve and letting people understand what is the art of the possible. Because I think that that's a big challenge of what's out there. Many people might think that, hey, some of the technology as it's applied to the blueberry industry might be immature, and that might be the case for certain, for certain types of applications, for others not. And I think being able to share that in some type of a, of a uh, workshop environment could be very interesting. Well, yes, thank you. And, and this has been you know, fascinating just to kind of hear your perspective. And I know you've been literally around the world on, on looking at some of this stuff. And we've been fortunate to have you and your team help us kind of pull through some of the things that we knew about ourselves. But I think in many ways, you've got a a survey here and some findings that will help us try to advance the cause going forward from here. So Rod, anything else? No, I want to thank you, Robert, for both doing the the podcast today, but also obviously for participating and doing the survey for us. Well, well, Rod, Casey, guys, again, I, I wanted to thank you. And it was really wonderful opportunity for me and my team to sort of work on this project. And um, so wonderful. Well, well, thank you guys so much for, for allowing me this chance to, uh, to sort of speak today. At this point in the podcast, we'd like to direct you to the resources that can help you in your business. If you're interested in this topic on the podcast, you can review the actual findings of our technology survey on our website at ushbc.org resources. Well, Rod, great to chat with Robert. You know, obviously a lot of effort put into getting a sense of what our growers think and actionable items for consideration. What were your key takeaways from our conversation with him today? Well, high marks to the industry. It's, it does see itself as innovative and it's very quick to adapt innovation, which I think speaks very positively about how we can move forward and, you know, the rapidity with which we can adapt uh, new technologies as long as we can, we can spot them, as long as we can bring them here and try to introduce people in the technology industry to our industry and, and likewise get our growers knowing what's even available out there. So I think it was all pretty positive and it seems like we've started out with at least the right foot forward. We can hopefully clearly demonstrate to you and the growers that as the committee work moves forward, uh, we can move that needle. And so those are all things that we hope to accomplish. And it, it seems like we're well on, well on target. I agree. And I also think, you know, it's coincidence or ironic that it's going to be technology that we gravitate to towards this fall, you know, in light of canceling the symposium, uh, we're moving to an all virtual format. And it just goes to show, I think, you know, our 
leadership was an early adopter of this virtual meeting technology in terms of using it to gather. And now we're pivoting entirely to it this fall. So I'm looking forward to you know bringing this survey forward together with you this fall to the rest of the industry, I think in a way that will actually help us reach more growers than we would have otherwise, coincidentally. I mean, we with the decision to move our meetings to the virtual format, I still see a opportunity ahead for us to talk, if not invite companies who could help address our audience in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise, thanks to technology and thanks to, uh, you know, I think the leadership like yours to kind of make sure that, you know, we keep leaning, leaning forward in educating our growers and inspiring innovation. So I think this is great. I'm excited about, uh, you know, what we've learned here today. And I think we've got a lot to share as we go forward from here. If you found this episode insightful, share it with someone else you know in the blueberry industry. We are just getting started with these weekly podcast episodes, and we'd sure appreciate your help in spreading the word about this resource. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.